Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, January 30th. Could nuclear power revolutionize the Canadian energy industry? We discuss the potential and hear about how nuclear could be very helpful to Alberta's oil and gas sectors with John Gorman, President and CEO of the Canadian Nuclear Association. How much do you know about vertical farming? We learn lots about the practice and hear about a cutting-edge project being launched right here in Calgary from Barry Murchie, CEO and President of True Leaf Sustainable Agriculture. The winters in Calgary Calgary are dry and terrible for our skin. If you suffer every winter, not to worry, help is on the way. We catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski for some tips to keep your skin healthy during the cold, dry weeks ahead. And finally, it's our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and live your best life. On this edition of Motivational Monday, we meet Donna Ashworth, Scottish poet and New York Times bestselling author, who shares with us her advice for ensuring every day is a good day. The U.S. has approved the development of small modular nuclear reactors. What impact could nuclear energy make in Canada and which projects are currently underway? Joining us to talk about it is John Gorman, President and CEO of the Canadian Nuclear Association. Good morning to you, John. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about nuclear power, just sort of, you know, um, Cole's Notes version of of how it works and particularly for us here in Canada, how it might work? Sure. Uh, Well, the the conventional nuclear plants that um, most people are familiar with have to do with uh, fission, fission, which is uh, splitting uh, atoms as opposed to fusion, which is a a technology that we know is coming in the future. Canada has been doing this for more than 60 years, so six decades. Uh, We are world leaders uh, and and regarded as uh, experts in the the safe operation of our own technology here, the can-do plants. And now we see that uh, aside from producing about 15% of Canada's electricity, uh, we are on the forefront of a, a bunch of innovation with these small modular reactors, which are the new, the new generation of, of nuclear. Okay, so let's talk, John. Besides, you use the term small, besides the size of this new scale power module, uh, what other benefits are there? Can it still pump out the amount of energy we need? And uh, let's talk about the the safety of it. I think that that's what comes to mind when we hear nuclear energy a lot. Right. Well, uh, look, um, Alex uh, Portier, the the CEO of Synovus, of course, uh, calls small modular reactors the, the the holy grail of the oil sands. Um, I, I think it's more like a, a Swiss Army knife um, in terms of its its capabilities. So these small modular reactors are very scalable. Uh, they uh, produce very clean, uh, emissions-free, high-temperature heat, really high-temperature heat. So scalable, high-temperature heat, which can replace the um, steam that's being used in uh, the uh, the extraction of uh, of oil. Uh, or used in uh, industrial processes, uh, or you could use that high temperature heat, of course, to turn a steam turbine and produce electricity or even produce hydrogen. So they're scalable. You can make them very, very small or, you know, about a third of the size uh, of, of the traditional reactors at the, when you go to the very largest size. You can place them almost uh, anywhere. Some of them fit on the back of trucks. They don't have to be refueled uh, in many cases for more than a decade. And uh, they are very, uh, very safe. Uh, nuclear generally is, is very safe. I think might surprise your listeners that, you know, nuclear is, is even safer than uh, renewables or at least wind power and as safe as solar power. A lot of misinformation out there about nuclear. But these small modular reactors, fourth generation, have even more safety uh, components built into them. 
John, across Canada, do we have many nuclear projects underway? I know there certainly have been, there's at least one big one in the east that's been ongoing for some time, right? That's right. I, I'd say the one of the, the biggest infrastructure projects in Canada right now is the $26 billion refurbishment of uh, two of the nuclear plants in Ontario. Uh, they are proceeding on time and on budget. Uh, they're producing some of the lowest cost electricity in the province and they'll be in operation until 2060s. Uh, that, that makes for a very, very strong nuclear ecosystem, and it, it's on this uh, nuclear ecosystem that we're doing some exploration of uh, these small modular reactors, and, and that's allowed us to become uh, really world leaders in terms of the development and deployment of these things. We are speaking with John Gorman, President and CEO of the Canadian Nuclear Association. Uh, John, I want to talk about when you mentioned that they're smaller and that they're scalable, you know, more customizable to the jobs that we need. Does it come with a, a more uh, easy-to-handle cost per unit, or, or how does it compare to a major-sized nuclear reactor? Well, I think it's important to realize or, or for your listeners to understand that the first small modular, react, small modular reactors are just being uh, deployed now. Uh, and so the, the cost is going to be determined. Uh, we're going to see a number of these technologies uh, deployed for the first time in Canada before the end of this decade. So starting in sort of 2027, right up to 2030. Uh, but the great potential of these small modular reactors, as, as you say, uh, Andy, is that uh, they are smaller, they're bite-sized, and so the private sector can get involved in financing these things. And there are some very promising discussions going on with all sorts of industry sectors across Canada, including very advanced discussions with the oil sands players right now about using these small modular reactors for their own needs. John, overall potential of nuclear power, do you think this is going to help Canada reach its climate and energy goals, security and safety, those sorts of things? I really think they're going to be an essential uh, part of the equation, and I'll, I'll tell you why. You know, as Canadians, we're, 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 we're going to have to more than double the amount of electricity we generate um, as we lead into 2050, which is a big task, right? It's taken us 120 years to build our current generating fleet. But we got to clean up, uh, decarbonize our existing fleet, and then we have to more than double the amount of electricity we produce. So. Uh, big nuclear uh, produces large amounts of, uh, of clean energy. We see that in Ontario, 60% of our electricity comes comes from come from that. Small modular reactors will be great for right-sizing them to different grids. But the really important thing here, in my view, is you know Canada's got a pretty clean electricity system already. Where we have to do a lot of work is in our heavy industry, whether it's oil and gas, mining, steel, cement manufacturing, and that's where these small modular reactors can really help Canada. Let's talk about, you've given some great, you know, concrete, easy to understand examples. Let's put it in these terms, John, when we talk about houses, uh, because homeowners are probably curious as well, uh, how many homes could be uh, powered by a small nuclear reactor? And I know there's different sizes, but a smaller one, one of these modular ones, how many homes could you power? Well, the very smallest one, so sort of a a megawatt, uh, like the the kind that would fit on the back of a, a truck, uh, could could power 10,000 homes, and then you could imagine uh, every megawatt after that, you're you're seeing you know a doubling, I, I guess, and, to start with. But then we, we can go up to 300 megawatts, which is the one that's currently being deployed in Ontario right now. 300 megawatts to be attached to the electricity grid. So that's a lot of homes and a lot of power, and it's all clean. Are there some drawbacks, some dangers still, John? I mean, you know, we hear nuclear reactor, and it can be a very scary term. 
just from things that have happened in the past in other countries. Is it something we need to be worried about? Well, uh, look, there have been nuclear uh, incidents that have happened in other parts of the world. And, um, you know, uh, there, there are early ones that, that people are most familiar with, like Chernobyl, uh, which, you know, was a 1986, I guess, and Russia with a technology that just isn't used uh, huge uh, any longer, huge um, improvements in safety since then, which have really created a tremendous track record for, uh, for nuclear and its, its uh, safety. Our regulator uh, here is the head of the International Safety um, Agency and Task Force, which is uh, a testament to the great record that we have here in Canada. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, nuclear really is very safe, and I encourage your listeners to go in and, and check those facts out. It's not just me that's saying that. Great conversation. Thanks for your insight, John. We appreciate it. Thank you. As John Gorman, president and CEO of the Canadian Nuclear Association, online at cna.ca. TrueLeaf Sustainable Agriculture is on the cutting edge of what they call a better way to farm. Joining us to talk about the potential of vertical farming systems is Barry Murchie, CEO and president of TrueLeaf Sustainable Agriculture. Good morning to you, Barry. Good morning. Let's break this down. The term vertical farming, can you define it for us and, and how it differs from traditional farming methods? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's largely the way it sounds, which is it's, it's basically a plant factory. So instead of uh, uh, open field farming where, you know, you're just doing it in the farm and, and um, exposed to everything that Mother Nature can throw at you. And also uh, we differ from greenhouses where, you know, they grow things, but it's all on one level. So think of it as sort of using every cubic foot of, uh, of space in, uh, in any given uh, facility. So think of it as a big warehouse. And uh, we are growing baby greens and microgreens, mm-hmm. and we do it uh, without the aid of any natural light. So we have really sort of decoupled ourselves from Mother Nature's um, variations, whether that be sunlight, temperature, humidity, uh, pests, uh, insects, rodents, any of those things. Um, and so we're, we're, we're growing those things, and it allows us to to do it without any pesticides, any fungicides, any herbicides, to do it with approximately 5% of the water used in similar crops in open field farming. And uh, we reduce the cycle time of growing uh, down to uh, about a third of what it would be in an open field format. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, sounds like a ton of benefits, obviously, to do this type of farming. So in terms of yield, uh, that, what you can produce, how would that compare, would you say? First of all, in Canada leafy greens, we're dependent on the U.S. for you know, somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of, of uh, our consumption. So we're not able to really grow our, these crops um, in Canada year-round. So when we bring it indoors into a vertical farming format, we can do somewhere around 20 crops a year, a little more than 20 crops a year of our babies, and we can do uh, somewhere around 40 crops a year of microgreens. So when you compare it to open field farming, it just it's just so much uh, more wow. highly concentrated and, uh, and efficient and productive in uh, a much smaller space. Barry, you mentioned your focus, baby greens and leafy greens. But what other uh, products can be grown in this method? Does, are there uh, some limitations? You can grow um, a very wide range of things. There's a lot of work being done on alternative crops. Think of it as berries or things along those lines. Uh, but you can, you can really uh, have this format work for 
uh, a very wide range of crops. We're focusing uh, our efforts right now on leafy greens, which is sort of uh, baby greens and micros, because uh, we're able, uh, one, Canada needs that support in our supply chain for our own food sovereignty. Uh, And in the case of microgreens, um, these are crops that you really can't grow in an open field format. Uh, They grow low to the ground, um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're very susceptible to, uh, to changes in weather, uh, insects, rodents, things like that. So we're actually, through this technology, we're able to bring innovation to the produce uh, aisle. And uh, these, are, these are items that can be up to 40 times the nutrient density of more mature plants or more mature leafy greens. So not only uh, are we able to... Um, uh, to grow things in a more concentrated, efficient way, but we're able to bring crops to uh, to the consumers that historically just couldn't be supported. Barry, we have a very high vacancy rate in downtown Calgary, and there's been much talk about you know converting these office towers not to residents, but to maybe vertical farming. Well, do you call them a farm? I'm not even sure what you call them. Uh, but, you know, would that be something? Could that be sustainable? Could a, a building be converted into a vertical farm area? Most definitely it could. So, but I think, I think the, the caution here is that these, uh, these farms, and again, we're, we're pioneering in Canada. Uh, we're the first and, and, and largest vertical farm uh, in Canada. We've got our first facility in Guelph, and we're building two more, one in Montreal and one in Calgary. Um, and they're very, very specialized. And so when, when I talk about the, um, the challenges of growing certain crops, like, like a microgreen, um, it, the temperature stratification, the amount of humidity, the amount of um, CO2 that's needed, the, the way that uh, you need to move the moisture off of the plant, your airflow systems, there's just so, and then as well as your irrigation system, your fertilization uh, the and, and then how all of that uh, uh, plays with your lighting recipes, uh, because we grow everything with LED lights. Um, it's a very complex and intricate system, and so to do that in just a you know a converted office tower, I'm not saying it can't be done, but to do it well and to do it efficiently at high volume, I think it's a challenge unless you're able to really design the building and design the infrastructure to support what the plants need. Barry, you, you covered uh, the output that this sort of farming, vertical farming can do, of uh, the efficiency and the quality of the product. Let's talk the dollars and cents now. The startup, uh, as far as the, the costs involved with vertical farming compared to traditional methods. Yeah, so these the farms that we're building are not cheap. However, the productivity that you get and the consistency and the predictability and the quality and the nutrient density, all of that uh, really spells enormous benefits for the retailers, for the food service operators, and for the consumers. If you've, uh, if you've ever taken uh, a look at people buying produce in a regular retailer, they pick up the package, they turn it upside down, they shake it, they're looking for mushy leaves, they take a look at the shelf life. They say, okay, i got two or three days left to eat this whole package. And then they kind of, you know, begrudgingly put it in the cart. Uh, in, in our situation, you know, we go from harvest uh, to delivery sometimes in the same day. Uh, and so you get longer shelf life. You get higher nutrient density. And we're selling right now at price parity uh, to organics. And we actually think that we're beyond organics because there's nothing that touches the canopy of our plants. 
everything is is uh, all of the irrigation happens uh, below from the roots and uh, again no pesticides herbicides fungicides uh so the, it's it's really uh, a comparable price for a much better product Barry, you said True Leaf is coming to Calgary. Where are you setting up? Yes, so we uh, we are very excited about being in Calgary. The farm is uh, uh, it's it's under construction right now. We look to start to um, uh, growing in our Calgary facility sometime around uh, June or July. Again, we're we're going to be doing uh, our baby greens, things like uh, uh, spring mix and spinach and baby arugula, kale as well as a full range of, of microgreens. Uh, and so, again, it'll be coming uh, to Calgary sometime this summer. Good stuff. Thanks for your input. Uh, thanks for the information, Barry. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate the, the time. Barry Murchie, CEO and President of True Leaf Sustainable Agriculture. Is winter wreaking havoc with your skin? If so, help is on the way. Some uh, winter weather tips to help battle these dry days with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Well, not only does it happen to us uh, who've been in the province for quite some time, I can't even imagine moving here and having your first winter season and saying, what is happening to me? It is dry here, isn't it, Dr. J.? It is so dry. I remember first when we we moved here is literally when you're you're driving into the city, your your skin starts getting itchy already. You don't even have to live here to start to feel it. And this is the absolute worst time of the year is right here, right now. So, I mean, what can we do? Listen, I have super dry skin. As soon as the cold weather comes, the tips of my fingers literally crack right open. And I've used every cream. I use crazy glue to close them. I mean, what what can we possibly do? <laughs> All of that and more. Uh, so try try to increase the humidity in your house if you can. If you have a little humidifier, you can put it by your bed. Sometimes actually helps. Moisturizer, moisturizer, moisturizer. You cannot get enough. And use one that's perhaps a bit oilier. Uh, if you if you can tolerate it, uh, uh, it is a personal preference. Some people don't like uh, mm-hmm. they like more uh, luxurious uh, moisturizers, and sometimes the best ones have a bit more of an anointment type base or a little greasier or Vaseline like. One little tip: uh, do not bathe, shower, and make it quick. When you're still not completely dried off, that's when you put your moisturizer in, mm-hmm. and it seems to seal into the skin a whole lot better. So when your skin is just a little bit wet is the perfect, perfect time. But a hot bath sitting in that just dries out the skin even more. Using soap in a hot bath, even worse. So uh, soap, bubble bath, anything, just try to limit the soap to the body parts that truly need it, all the groin folds, the uh, below the belt, the uh, underarms, and try to avoid soap in other places. And sometimes just these simple things can help a bit at least. It's interesting. It's a double-edged sword, Dr. J. It's bitterly cold, nothing better than a hot bath, but then it's, it's, it's a circle, right? But uh, what's interesting, you sent an article uh, to me is besides being uncomfortable, within this article, it says that if your skin is help- healthy, it protects you from allergies and infections. Um, and when it's not so healthy, that defense system might be down a bit. I found that quite interesting. No, and uh, we do see people who actually, where their eczema leads to fissures of skin and breaks, get a little bit of infection in that, then all of a sudden now you have the batago, now you have folliculitis, now you have these other skin conditions that are a whole lot larger than just eczema. So um, kids who suffer from eczema, the dreaded uh, triad of asthma, eczema, and allergies, these kids really, really suffer a fair bit. 
So we have to take a very, very aggressive stance. And sometimes that's a lot of prescription meds on top for their skin. But we take this quite seriously because this is not just a <laughs> dry skin and it's, uh, it's awkward or, or annoying. It actually can lead to some true health problems for them. Are there some good lotions and creams that you get sort of over the counter, but that are a little better than, you know, your fancy schmancy things? Uh, you know something, I would say, um, and I have no shares in any of the companies, it's all about how much you use more than the product okay. you use. So um, uh, there are things for kids where they're uh, they're really, really expensive. And I tell uh, families, use the adult stuff. It, it's, there is no kid sort of friendly stuff. It's all the same. It's just how they package it. Just pick one that you like and use a lot of it as opposed to picking sort of a real expensive one and using only a little bit. That's a bad strategy. Any advice, though, would, would go a long way because I know that if you're suffering from the dry skin, all you want is that answer. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, you know, keep warm. I know we're uh, trending toward warmer temperatures, but keep warm this morning, Dr. J. You betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Scotland's blue mountains world where hoary cliffs are piled, towering and grandeur now, it is Motivational Monday, and described as comfort for the soul, I follow and I'm constantly inspired by poet and New York Times bestselling author Donna Ashworth. We invited Donna to join us on this Motivational Monday to share some of her words of encouragement with all of us. So, we got gotcha. you. Good morning, Donna. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. Well, appreciate you joining us. It's a pleasure to t- chat with you after following you on social media. Thanks for being on Mornings with Sue and Andy on QR Calgary, across the pond, of course. But can I ask you, you know, where, the words that you write, the, the poetry, the, the writings, where does, that, where does that come from? Do you get downloads or, or, you know, how do you be inspired to be able to write things like that? I think I do get the downloads, as some people would describe it. I sort of wake up every morning and it's just there. And I just extract, I always seem to write first thing in the morning. Um, and it's it's basically come from years and years of having to retrain my brain from being quite worst case scenario and trying to um, trying to retrain it to look for the positive, to stay calm and to find balance. So because I've done that for so long, I think um, these are just the sort of tools that fly around my head all the time when I pluck them out and put them down on paper. But here's the thing, Donna, you decided to use the outlet of writing when you have these thoughts. Something got you to that point. Maybe a lot of us have some thoughts that could, you know enrich our lives, maybe even enrich the lives of others, but we never get to it. So so what was the motivation for you to say, I'm going to put pen to paper? What was that start? Can you remember when that happened? I can, and it's such a good point because everything that I'm saying, the reason that it resonates so wildly is because everybody else sees it too. They understand it. They're thinking it. It's just they're being reminded by me in that moment. So I truly believe that many, many of us could do it. It's just that I was I was looking for something to do that would be quite um, fruitful for me mentally uh, in my spare time. And I decided to start a website for women that we could all sort of chat about things and just share inspiration. I didn't set out to write poetry. I didn't set out to write quotes. 
I was more sort of sharing useful tips and tricks and interviewing inspirational people. And then I realised that actually it was the little quotes when they did come out that people were grabbing onto. And it, it, it snowballed from there. It was really quite organic. There was no sort of, I'm going to do this. It, it, and then the lockdown came and I found myself in a position where people were looking to me already for it every day. So I thought, here's something I can do now and be of use. So through the pandemic, have you seen your numbers of followers go up dramatically? You're at a million followers already, and I see your posts constantly being shared by people I know and people I don't know. Yes, I mean, I, I honestly think if it hadn't been for the lockdown and the pandemic, I probably would not be doing this right now. I mean, I'd still be writing and I'd still be using that um, personally, but would I have seven books? The first one of which came out in the lockdown would have be, you know, having success with this. I don't know because it was all that we had at that moment in time was the internet. We, we couldn't go anywhere. So we needed words more than ever. Mm-hmm. It was literally all that we had in that moment. And I was just sort of sitting in the right place at the right time. Right place, right time. Did you ever think <laughs> you'd be doing this you know, when, when you were younger, did you think that this could be a career path for you, uh, something you'd spend most of your time doing? I didn't think anybody thought that being a poet was a career path. <laughs> and certainly not me. I didn't even know it was a job or a thing. But I'm so very grateful that it is because I wake up every day and what a joy it is to be able to write something down with my morning coffee, put it out into the world and other people read it and go, oh, I needed that right now. And I I couldn't be any more grateful. It's just wonderful. I have to keep you with us because you have a few tips. You have some motivational tips for our listener to help them get through their day today and beyond and to move toward their goals. Let's start with some of your tips. I mean, it's it's different for everyone, obviously, but I always try and look at a day. It's a, a, a little piece of everything in one 24-hour period. So it's not going to be a bad day or a Monday or a good day or a Friday. Every day has everything in it. And I think that once you accept that you will be happy, sad, panicked, peaceful, all in one day, there comes acceptance with that and it makes it a lot easier. But for me, I always think about what is the reason for what I've got coming up today? What? Why do I have to do these things that might be causing me stress or worry. So once I think about the reason, then I think about and what is the reward? Is it how I'm going to feel at the end of it? Is it that somebody else is going to feel better? Or is, you know, what is it that's the good thing that's coming out of that? And that helps me find the motivation to tackle things that are possibly a little bit stressful. And then finally, and this is the most important one, is to find humour on days where I just cannot get past my own head. I will take to TikTok or Instagram reels and, and watch silly little videos of things that make me laugh. And 100 times out of 100 times, it will reset me and just give me that little bit of, of extra positive energy to carry on. And that's what I love about your writing, Stana. Simple but profound. Do you think that's sort of why people gravitate towards the words that you write? Because we can all understand and and they speak to all of us? I think so. And I'm really, um, I'm so 
flattered if anybody says that my uh, passages are simple because I'm not trying to be clever. I'm not trying to be a wonderful poet. All I'm trying to do is to connect with the people who are reading what I've written down. And that connection has to happen really quickly in this modern day world. So it has to be effective and simple. And it has to, to, to go into your mind and do something for you. And that's only going to happen if it's, you know, if I'm talking to you exactly the way I would talk to myself. And, and that's how you hear it. So, yeah, I think so. Don't want to put you on the spot, Donna, but I'm wondering, uh, we've got about a minute left here. Uh, do you have about a minute's uh, worth of poetry you can read for us, a little snippet of something? Oh, well, I shall read to you the passage that I put out today, which is uh, quite similar to what I just said to you, and it's called Today. No, today probably won't be a great day, but it absolutely won't be a bad day either. Today will simply be a day. 24 hours of a little bit of everything. Some moments will be hard, some will be joyous, some will be peaceful and some will be draining. And you, you will handle it all because that's what you do. Don't put pressure on yourself to have any kind of a day, my friend. Life throws enough at you. Instead, just remind yourself that whatever happens, you are ready. And most importantly, you have your own back. It's just a day, another day of life in all its messy everythingness. Lucky us. Lucky us is right and lucky us to have you on for Motivational Monday today. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Donna. Really appreciate chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Donna Ashworth, Scottish poet, New York Times bestselling author. You can go to her website and simply follow her on Facebook, Donna Ashworth. She is fantastic and inspirational. Her website again, DonnaAshworth.com.